0: book two chapter one of round the block by john bell Bootin this librivox recording is in the public domain book second polishing chapter One, the enigma marcus wilkeson's new acquaintance throve rapidly mr minford's dealings with the world had made him shy and suspicious and he was at first disposed to keep his benevolent visitor at a safe business distance But the heart of the thoughtful mechanic could not long resist the kind and earnest sympathy of the man who sought to be his friend. With a caution born of experience, however, Mr. Minford, before admitting the new guest to his full confidence, called upon a number of Wall Street brokers and South Street merchants to whom Marcus had referred him and learned from them that that gentleman bore a reputation of the rarest honor and purity of character while giving this united testimony however they all agreed in condemning mr wilkeson's eccentricity insanity one broker called it in retiring from business at the very moment when he was most successful and had a great fortune within easy reach the fact that he had retired with one hundred and fifty thousand dollars instead of mitigating his offence in the eyes of those critics increased it why said a noted bear with that amount of capital and wilkeson's first-rate talents when he chose to use them he might have become the king of wall street it's a pity so smart a fellow should make a wreck of himself and the bear heaved a sigh of commiseration which was by no means echoed by mr who gathered from all this evidence an increased esteem for his benefactor from the time when he first crossed the threshold of the house on his mission of mercy pet had looked upon him with the deepest reverence she had read in story-books of mysterious gentlemen who went about doing good merely for the pleasure of it and who always reached the scene of distress with fairy-like certainty when everybody and everything would have gone to ruin without them. Such a strange supernatural embodiment of goodness seemed Marcus Wilkeson to her childish fancy. When he entered the room, and he was an everyday caller now, she looked around with great anxiety to see that all the chairs were in their proper places, that there was no dirt or dust visible anywhere that everything was in a state of order and cleanliness worthy so exalted a guest. She would run to take his overcoat and hat and cane, and place them as carefully in the clothes-press as if they had been the robe, crown, and scepter of a king. Then she would sit in her little chair, and take her sewing or knitting or embroidery, and pretend to be all absorbed in it while she was listening eagerly to every word that marcus addressed to her father and occasionally looked up at the face of their guest and thought how noble it was and how proud she should be to call him uncle when he spoke to her as he often did and asked her about her work or her companions or her studies upon the latter subject he had grown quite curious of late she would feel that she was blushing and answer with downcast eyes and be half glad and half sorry when he ceased to question her and would then sit and torment herself by recalling what she had said and thinking how much it might have been improved a sharp-eyed observer had such been present accustomed to studying the human face and weighing motives would have been puzzled to guess the exact nature of the feelings which marcus entertained for the pretty innocent young creature who sat there always plying her little fingers at some useful work the puzzle would have been a still greater one for mr wilkeson himself he felt a profound interest in pet and she it was and not the pale mechanic or his novel machine that led him daily up those three flights of rickety stairs to that humble room he said to himself and he would have said to anybody who was entitled to call upon him for an explanation that he had always loved children and that the beauty and goodness of this child had deeply interested him if there was any other motive at the bottom of his heart he studiously concealed it from himself as he would have concealed it from all the world during these visits mr minford pursued his work without interruption The screens which were at first jealously closed were now thrown open, and the inventor sat there in full sight of his visitor, laboring at his great mechanical problem. Repeatedly he had begged of Marcus the privilege of explaining to him the principles of the machine, but that gentleman had always resolutely declined, for the reasons before stated, and he had always observed that, a few moments after such refusal the face of the inventor would brighten up as if with joy that he had not parted with his secret even to one who held a fifth interest in it of the wonderful results which the machine was sure to accomplish mr minford was never tired of talking nor mr wilkeson of hearing although at these times his eyes followed the flying motions of Pett's fingers as if they were a part of the wonder of which the inventor discoursed so glowingly. Precisely what the machine was to effect, when completed, Marcus Wilkeson would never have known if he had been the most attentive of listeners. Mr. Minford spoke in vague general terms that afforded no clue to the mystery. He talked of old philosophers and mechanicians, who had failed to discover an unnamed secret of nature because they had no faith in its existence. Complete faith in the existence of the thing to be discovered, as well as in the ability of the searcher to find it, he regarded as indispensable conditions of an inventor's success the fact that the natural law which he was trying to demonstrate had been pronounced an impossibility by professors of science should weigh as nothing in the mind of any man who remembered how every great invention of the age had in turn been stamped impossible by those dogmatizers in their academical chairs their books and their reviews latterly mr minford confessed The scientific theorists had been more tolerant toward other people's inventions. They never invent anything themselves. But with regard to the one upon which he was now engaged, they had, with complete unanimity, decided that the thing could not be done, and charitably called every man an idiot or a lunatic who attempted to do it. The world has at last fallen into this belief, Mr. Minford would say bitterly, and the few people with whom i am acquainted would all agree in echoing these scientific opinions if they knew what i am working at but no one shall know excepting you mr wilkeson to whom i should be most happy to explain everything if you would only let me this prejudice is too deep-rooted to be readily pulled up even when my invention is perfected and has entered upon its boundless career of usefulness I know that it will be called a humbug, that people will look at it and see it in operation, and still say it is a lie, yet the time will come when the professors of science will feel proud to expound by formulas the very invention which they have shown by formulas to be an absolute contradiction of all the laws of nature. As for the rabble who make up the world, the inventor's lips curled as he said this, they will be glad to atone for the mad hue and cry with which they will follow me at first, by giving me at last limitless wealth and immortal fame. Mr. Minford's eyes flashed, and Marcus Wilkeson, looking up at them from Pet's volant fingers, saw in their sudden glare what he took to be the evidence of genius, but what in an ordinary man he would have called a decided symptom of insanity. End of Book 2, Chapter 1.